Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions relevant to leadership. Brian Perkins. Uh, good evening, everybody. I'm so excited. I have, uh, as usual, I always say I'm excited, but um, this this. Um, radio show and podcast near and dear to me. Um, I have had the great privilege of having some wonderful conversations with uh, some extraordinary individuals, and today is no exception. Today I want to welcome Atsa Chavez, um, who is a member of the Diné uh, Nation and uh, is born in Kiwa, um, uh, Pueblo, and she's going to discuss her work and talk to me a little bit about uh, her executive director uh, of the uh, NAVA Education Project and the New uh, Mexico Native Vote. So, Atza, welcome. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to take a minute to introduce myself mm-hmm. in uh, Navajo and Karis for any listeners out there. Yat e she Atza Chavez yinishe bedak yinishe kis ani bashachin nakai dene edashache kis ani dashenale. So thank you for that. My name is uh, Asa Don Chavez. I'm the ED of NAVA Education Project and the NM Native Vote. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, we're so, so, so happy to to have you. And um, as I told you before we went live, I said, you know, I have so many questions and it's such a short time. We only have 30 minutes, but uh, let me start because um, there are, there are names that have been assigned to groups of indigenous people that uh, we've recognized that are incorrect and mispronounced, just all kinds of errors. And uh, we know that the, the designation Indian is, is based on a historical error. But, but I, what I want to first ask is, what is correct to say? Is it appropriate to say Indian or more appropriate to say indigenous? or do various tribes accept either or something yet altogether different? Um, I, you know, that's where I want to start because I think for me, I've, I've heard, and I grew up in, a, in an area uh, in Alabama that is uh, really close to um, a, a, a city, uh, a small town, if you will, that is, uh, uh, the name of the city is uh, Cherokee. It's a, just a small little hamlet. And, um, and it was uh, during my childhood, uh, I became aware that um, a more accurate um, designation was Native American. Um, you know, we're not sure. So I want to hear from you, what, what is it that um, you, you suggest that uh, people use as a, as a designation? Sure, that's a great question. You know, I think um, for a lot of folks, Indian is kind of um, not really used very often. Um, And it it really depends on, you know, the age group of the person that you're asking. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure someone did a recent study, you know, that said, you know, Indian was falling off in terms of use. Uh, Native American and indigenous were much more um, 
often cited as, as what folks would, would like to be called, you know, mm-hmm. but it's different. It's just the same with, you know, we had African-American, Black, mm-hmm. you know, Americans. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. all of these types of stuff. So Native American is kind of the term that is used. But if you're out on the res or the Pueblo, people call each other Native. People call each other, you know, Pueblo if you're from one of the 19 or 20 Pueblos in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people just refer to themselves from the, the nation that they come from. So for me, I, um, I identify as Native or Indigenous, but um, more directly I say that, you know, I'm from or I'm Diné, which is the the Navajo Nation that my mom's from and mm-hmm. born for Kiwa Pueblo because the way that we introduce ourselves we introduce ourselves in our clan and so I introduced my mother's clan first because we're a matriarchal society and then mm-hmm. secondly would introduce the Pueblo that my father is from. Uh, I see. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, and so you mentioned um, you know the reservation. Um, I, I've seen on on the news, just big, you know, small clips. I've never personally been to a reservation. Um, Can you just paint a picture for me uh, for what life is like? I know, and this may not be across all reservations, but I know you you have some indication of of that. But, um, but, you know, um, various um, documentaries about the poverty, about poor infrastructure, um, inadequate schools. And a lot of times people don't talk about from an asset perspective. So I would love to right. hear from you just a little bit about um, what life is like, at least from your perspective and from, from um, your clan, um, what you experienced growing up. Sure. So, you know, I'm, I was fortunate enough to be both uh, Navajo and Pueblo, which are the main um, groups of Native Americans here in the state of New Mexico. So I, you know, really learned uh, to live in a lot of different worlds. There's the world that is the Pueblo, which is very communal. Um, houses are very close to one another. Um, you know, a lot of times it's multi-generational housing uh, during COVID that Um, created a lot of um, um, hardship because a lot of these families weren't able to quarantine in the way that Mm -hmm, things were mm -hmm. suggested, right? Mm -hmm. On the Navajo Nation, you can see like the COVID-19 pandemic really laid bare some of the inequalities that our communities have faced for generations. And, um, you know, that we've been combating about uh, against for a really long time. In the Navajo Nation, there are um, a number of homes that do not have water direct to their homes or for their livestock. Um, You have uh, only 30% of them that have electricity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So when you think about the United States and, you know, third world countries, um, we always used to joke when you'd see those um, um, pictures of folks trying to encourage Um, people in the U.S. to send money out of the U.S. to help with poverty because clearly there's a a third world country in the middle of of a lot of these um, reservations that we live in. And Mm -hmm. on the Navajo Nation in particular, you know, there have been, um, they've had to deal with what we call like environmental racism, which basically means that a lot of oil and gas industry and extractive industry have um, made kind of a foothold in these areas where they've been able to 
get fracking leases or um, have been able to extract a lot of the the minerals from our communities yet have not um, had the same um, tenderness to make sure that they clean up their mess or that mm -hmm. they don't leave any sort of residue. So you have generations mm -hmm. of Navajos that have um, had health effects from like uranium mining where some of these were just left in piles in our communities. Mm -hmm. And also from the gas and, and oil industry where, um, you know, there was a point in the pandemic where uh, per capita, the Navajo Nation had the highest rate of COVID um, um, numbers. And also because of the oil and gas industry had a lot of folks that have issue with respiratory stuff like asthma. Mm. And so mm. it really set the stage for, you know, not being able to quarantine, not being able to turn on your faucet to wash your hands as recommended. Um, you know, uh, not, not having the same level of, of access to healthcare. Um, mm. And so there was a lot of things that compiled to make it just, you know, really difficult for um, Native Americans in these areas to, to do what they needed to for themselves. Because when you talk about infrastructure, we're one of the last uh, places that, we, that, that get the funding to be able to do that. And so that's why as an organization, we were very heavily involved in the 2020 census count because that's that's how we know we get funding, right? You get the data mm -hmm. to say mm -hmm. how many people are there. You get, anytime you wanna apply for anything federally, they mm -hmm. look at your numbers from the census, that's right? right? Sure, the census, sure. The, but the census shows that there's 64,000 uh, Navajos um, but there's really closer to 450,000 Navajos out there in between, you know, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, and then folks that live in urban spaces as well. So, mm. um, you know, there's a lot of fight that we need, <laughs> a lot of fights sure. and battles that we need to engage in. Yes, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, the irony, um, and it's not that we um, we shouldn't do and help our neighbors, but, you know, I, I was taught uh, a long time ago that charity begins at home. And um, I think that um, there's a lot more in a lot of spaces that we could do. We could do more. So thanks for, um, for sharing that. Um, and it was not lost on me what you said about, you know, electricity and water not being available. Um, and I, I just don't think a lot of people are aware. And that's the reason, you know, really I invited you and thank you for sharing that because um, these are all things that um, I think a lot of us take for granted um, and, and think that they are uh, third world countries somewhere other than the United States. So thank you so much. Um, you know, so I, I know that you, so this, this project that you have, um, love to hear more about what you're doing. And, and so I guess my first question, I'd love to know more about the education project and the native vote. Um, my question is, are the, the efforts that you have that in, with your organization, is it focused on reservations in, or, or as you mentioned, kind of the across various urban centers and other places across various states? Is it just focused on uh, New Mexico? 
So, um, you know, uh, NAVA Education Project, which is a 501c3, was really born out of the work to protect a sacred site, which was the Petroglyph uh. National Monument that is just uh, expanding into Albuquerque's west side through the late 90s and the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And really, during that battle, we found out that the impact on taxes and bonds and infrastructure you know, have an effect on the natural resources and landmarks. And so we just saw that there was this stranglehold that developers had on political leadership. And so we, we decided to advocate against that and literally filled a city council uh, chambers with 300 plus uh, natives oh, and wow. they didn't want to listen to us. They mm. did not want to listen to us. And the rationale was that they didn't see us as voters. And so really, um, the NAVA Education Project worked as a nonprofit, um, and and also the NM Native Vote is a 501c4, and so mm -hmm. we really work together to promote awareness and action on issues that face Native American communities through community organizing and educational strategies. So we're committed mm -hmm. to social, economic, environmental justice. Um, mm -hmm. principles that help to advance healthy and sustainable communities for our mm -hmm. natives living in the state of New Mexico. So really, mm -hmm. you know, to answer your question, it's it's the total population of the state is where we're working, and we're starting to advocate more regionally and get into um, discussions more nationally as well. The way that we work is we really um, find ways that we can help uplift the voices of our community and influence policy. We're building mm -hmm. a native voter block so that we can have our voice represented in these areas that are outside of our community, but that we participate in all the time. You know, I am mm -hmm. a member mm -hmm. of two native communities, also a state citizen, also, you know, a citizen of the United States. And so, you know, we're used to walking in all of those different circles. You know how they talk about how you got to, you know, change the way you say things in different areas. You know, that that's something that I had to learn as a young person. And, and it continues moving forward. We have been really successful in a couple of key areas. Um, and I can give you some examples. So for environmental protections. This last uh, legislative session, using both our C3 and our C4, we mm -hmm. really were able to advocate for some meaningful um, bills in the legislature. One is the Community Solar Bill, which is um, set to create equity and access to solar panel, especially for families who haven't been able to afford or support panels in their area, and also mm -hmm. for tribal nations who want to you know, start to invest in solar energy and move away from oil and gas. Another one mm -hmm. is the Sustainable Economy Task Force that we put together, and that's because we realized that frontline communities needed a seat at the table to determine how New Mexico was going to respond to the climate crisis mm -hmm. so that we could find an economic diversification solutions that were climate-friendly and made sense to our communities. Because at the end of the day, you know, conservation and respect for the earth are at the core of who we are as indigenous, yes, indigenous yes. peoples. And mm -hmm. we have the knowledge and wherewithal to help our environment heal and help it sustain it for generations to come. But mm -hmm. we have to have the ability to go to our legislators and be in that legislative uh, process to say, hey, this is what our communities are wanting and needing. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're fortunate that we're set up with these separate tools in our toolbox 
to be able to advocate whether that's, you know, community engagement. Because on our C3 side, we were able to talk to community members. Uh, I literally had our Danette Energy Organizer running around with our Wi-Fi hotspot, you know, as people were trying to testify to talk about, you know, the real issues that they're having in their communities um, in these legislative sessions so that people knew what was going on. But because we mm -hmm. don't have broadband widely, in the Navajo Nation, he was running around trying to get people <laughs> um, uh, um, signal so that they could provide uh, that testimony. So it's sure, really an act sure. of love and wanting mm -hmm. to uplift the voices of our communities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and that is um, really fascinating to hear the the work, the the great work that you're doing all over, um, particularly in your state, which which you know I. I, you just taught me something about um, the activism across the state and hearing that there are people like yourself that are doing, um, doing things to help solidify a block and let people know that you do have a, a voice in, in uh, the political process. Um, so I, I want to understand a little bit uh, about who's on the on the reservations and are the majority of people who um who identify as navajo and um various um other clans that you mentioned pueblo um are they on reservations or are they spread throughout the state let's just take new mexico as an example um where where are most uh, most of the people uh concentrated Um, you know, contrary to popular, I guess, assumption, the majority of Native Americans now in the United States are actually urban, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Whether it's, you know, moving away to go to college, to find a job, to find adequate schooling for your children, um, mm -hmm. to have water and electricity. People are moving into urban areas at a rapid rate. I think, you know, um, I, I didn't look up the statistics before I got on the call, but it's like 60-70% of Natives are in urban areas okay. in the state of New Mexico. So hmm. we have one of the largest populations of Indigenous people. But just to give you a quick breakdown on the census. So right now the American Indian population, according to the census, is um, at, what is this, uh, just under 10 million people. Uh, the 2020 census saw an 85% increase. So we make up 3% of the population. In New okay. Mexico, uh, we grew by eight, just roughly 58,000, which was an increase of just under 3%. Um, mm -hmm. The population in the state of New Mexico increased, um, and the overall population in the state increased by 20%. So wow. we represent about 12.5% of the overall population in the state of New Mexico. And okay. Albuquerque, which is one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest uh, city in New Mexico, has the seventh largest population of Native Americans in the in the country. So okay. I'm not sure if that broke it down enough for you. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. No, have, that's very important. <laughs> we have a lot of people that, you know, um, live on the reservation and live in cities. And for me, I spent a majority of my uh, youth moving from the Pueblo which is about 30 miles uh, away from our biggest city, Albuquerque, 
or living on the Navajo reservation or in what we call border towns, which are towns just outside of tribal land. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, I did attend school in Albuquerque for some of my years. So I lived in Albuquerque as well. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of members that will live on the reservations the majority of their life or their pueblos, tribal lands, the majority of their life. And then there are a great number of us that travel back and forth um, and almost maintain two households in mm-hmm. in some senses. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, you started out talking about some of the disparities that exist uh, with resources, not, you know, water and electricity notwithstanding. So let's go back to some of the things like uh, the education system. Um, what What is it like? Um, from an education perspective uh, of people who are, are there on reservations um, that we start there talking about the reservations, but then sure, sure. Uh, for the remainder of, of uh, people that you're working with, um, what are they seeing in terms of their education pers- uh, perspective? Sure. So uh, three years ago, a ruling came down from a pretty landmark case known as Yazzie Martinez versus the state of New Mexico. And what they found was the state was historically uh, failing to provide Native Americans, low income, disabled um, English language learners and at risk use, um, keeping them from having an adequate and uniform system of of education. and and college career readiness. So the state was ordered to improve educational standards, but it's been slow to act and implement a lot of these solutions. And so um, a number of uh, native educators created what was called the tribal remedy framework. And this was um, from native people saying, hey, this is how we can culturally and linguistically provide education that supports the educational infrastructure, not only on tribal lands, but also in our state uh, and uh, across the state and in our cities. And Mm -hmm. so we've been trying to push forward some of this uh, legislation as well so that tribes have the right to say, hey, you know, we want to be able to teach our language, teach our history, teach all of these things that are relevant to our community members within our own community. One of the other things that they were fighting for um, was funding, right? And so mm-hmm. when, when we take away some of our funding resources, it makes it even harder for us to, um, to advocate for edu- educational funding. So again, one of the other fights that we had was there was a particular legislative um, staffer who was a key member of, you know, figuring out where the policy was for uh, education in the state. And she was reported by her own employees to have been making demeaning and racing remarks, not only about Native American students, but uh, from other BIPOC students as well. And Mm so we pushed to remove her from her office And it was a long and drawn out battle, but she finally resigned. And hopefully Mm. we can influence um, who her replacement is going to be. Because in New Mexico, we're a a large state of a bunch of minorities. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of diversity in our state. And we Mm -hmm. love the fact that we are so diverse. But we need to have people in leadership that understand our communities, that are willing to, to fund our communities in a way that makes sense 
um, to them. And when you have Native Americans who have uh, who are leaders in education saying, hey, we figured this all out for you, the state of New Mexico. All you have to do is implement this and fund mm-hmm. this. It makes a lot of sense for us to push forward for that. The other thing in terms of education is just total broadband access, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When COVID-19 happened in my Pueblo, they closed the borders. People were not Mm. able to go in or out because we wanted to safeguard our elders who hold our language Mm -hmm. and our culture, right? We didn't want Mm -hmm. people coming into our communities and and increasing the spread of Mm COVID-19. Yet what that meant is people don't have a really good cell phone service, so they couldn't get things on their cell phone. You know, people, if they didn't have a tribal library, didn't have access to broadband in their home. So Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, people were cut off. People couldn't even um, turn in their uh, unemployment stuff because it was all online and all of the the one phone line they had was constantly busy. You know, even trying to fill out this census. The census this this year in in 2020 said, hey, everybody, just use your city-style address and reply online. Yay. No. We don't mm-hmm. have online service. We don't mm-hmm. have city-style addresses. You know, we are, we're like, you know, off of this road, over past this sagebush, two miles right. this way, right? Like, it's <laughs> sure. Just, sure, even sure. trying to GPS your location became difficult. And yeah. then, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, incre- it's, it's hard for people to have um, just the access that folks are used to living in the cities, right? Mm-hmm. And I yes. think that's why... When it becomes so overwhelming, we have people that move from these areas to find gainful employment, to have those infrastructure that we need, even for something like voting on the Navajo Nation, right? I have a story that I wanted to share with you sure, um, sure. that kind of highlights what that, what, what that did. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, the state of New Mexico said, hey, we only have to have like 70% of our polling locations open. Um, because that's the minimum we need to have. Well, they went and they closed a lot of tribal polling locations, but they didn't really tell anybody. So Uh, we had a gentleman voter who has been walking two hours um, from his home to his nearest polling site every time he's he's wanted to vote. And he's been doing mm -hmm. this since he was 18, and he's Mm -hmm. 70-plus years old. Wow. So this gentleman walks in 90-plus degree heat in the middle of June to his polling precinct only to find that it was closed. You know, he's walking in his cowboy boots, his button-down shirt, uh, his hat, and then he finds out, you know, I just walked two hours and I can't even vote. His polling Mm. location had been moved an additional four hours away. So we were able to get him a ride to do that. But this gentleman spent six hours just Mm. trying to cast his vote that is his right because – you know, it's difficult to do that. They have, you know, geographic isolation. There's physical and national, uh, natural barriers. There's poor or non-existent roads that you have to go through. If you've ever been um, in a rainstorm out there in the Navajo Nation, you better have 4 by 4 because otherwise you're not going to get where you need to go because wow. of all the mud and craziness, you know. So mm-hmm. the distance, the time travel, all of those things makes it hard for people to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and, you know, one of the things that you, I know that you are working on is showcasing, uh, uh, showcasing uh, entrepreneurship, 
um, which led me to another question I had. What are the investments that are happening if um, they are – because it made me think about um, when you when you said there are no uh, really good uh, – there's not good cell service, not good broadband in many of the locations out there. Uh, a lot of times that comes when there are businesses and there are there's revenue. Um, what's what what's the primary um, economic base um, on these reservations and in these areas that are primarily primarily populated by indigenous people? What how how uh, how are people investing there? So there's a couple of things. You know, like um, I come from a family on my Pueblo side where. Um, my my grandfather was a very well-known silversmith, and so I spent a mm. lot of my youth traveling around the state selling their wares, their their um, silver items, my grandmother's, uh, you know, turquoise and coral nec- necklaces that she strung together. I learned how to sand those down as a young person and help mm. present that, and that's probably where I first got my um, first taste at, you know, being a sa- with the sales pitch, right? Like being okay. able to sell the to 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 folks. So in the state of New Mexico it's a it's a heavy state for tourism. And so again, with the COVID pandemic, with people shutting down and not being able to have these in person events, a lot of those people went without those monies that they're used to. We have a lot of people that make, you know, food items and a lot of people that sell to their neighbors that just weren't able to do that. We have people that are also um farmers, agricultural um stuff. Mm. But you know, we had the gold spill uh gold mine spill that happened in the Navajo Nation a few years back. They just got um, some money after that lawsuit, but it literally ruined a lot of the lives of some of the farmers out in that space. So Mm -hmm. when we look at investment, you know, something as simple as making sure that we have the millions of dollars that we need just to create um, the broadband infrastructure here for tribes across the state Something like that is really going to help not only with um, employment because people can have their small businesses and people can buy online. It's going to help with the educational outcomes because people are going to be able to take the classes that they need to. Um, And it's really going to just help to uh, keep our communities in line with some of the improvements that are happening nationally, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Having, uh, if, if anybody moved to a place and they couldn't have Wi-Fi, they would probably move away, right? That's just the sentiment right now. You don't yeah, have sure. water. You don't have electricity. You don't have bar band. It's like, what are you going to do? What are the kids going to do, right? They're going to run right, and play right. outside instead. But I'm just saying, right. like, we need to have the investment into tribal communities because it's the only way that we're really going to be able to um, change the structural um, um, outcome for, for mm-hmm. a lot of these folks. And so that's what we're we're focusing on is uplifting our communities, you know, looking at infrastructure. That's one of the areas that we work in. Uh, energy stuff is the other, civic engagement, and also, you know, like curriculum for our youth because I know that there's a lot of youth out there that are just feeling like, man, this sucks, you know. I have mm-hmm. no agency to change this. This is all, mm-hmm. um, you know, what the older generations have done to us, and now we don't even have a planet we can live on, right? Right, like, right. There are, there are ways and methods that we can encourage our youth to become super voters, to get engaged in the process, to have some agency, right? Because that's mm-hmm. all we really want. We want some mm-hmm. agency over our future. We mm-hmm. want to see a light at the end of the tunnel that gives us a little bit of hope. 
And so that's really what we're invested in is making sure that we bring up our communities, you know, one person at a time, one dollar at a time. Um, and, and we've been putting together some grant funding so that we can bring a lot more money into the state of New Mexico and into the region because we know that that's going to turn the tide. And the most important thing is that we go directly to our communities to say, you know, hey, what is it that you need? What is the main issue that you're dealing with right now? Because we're not here to, to do what other people have said and, you know, come from this colonized mindset where we know mm -hmm. better than anyone else. No, mm -hmm. we're saying. Mm -hmm. what is going on in your community and how can we advocate together to help? Mm -hmm. Wow. Powerful. I know. And, you know, it is, it's so good to hear what you're saying that your organization is doing and what you're doing personally, get those messages out and to mobilize groups of people. Um, do, do you want to share any websites or places where people can learn more um, and especially for people um, who in the region um, who might be able to help, um, where they can reach out, find you, um, keep up with what you're doing. You have any any place you'd like to direct us to before we go? Sure. So I would say we have two uh, websites that you would be able to access. The first is navaeducationproject.org, and that's just N-A-V-A educationproject.org. Um, we're set up there to receive any sort of donations that you want to provide in a nonpartisan way, meaning you don't have, like, any political intentions necessary. necessarily. You just want to help in some of the work that we're doing. Our mm -hmm. C4 is nmnativevote.org, um, so just nmnativevote.org. And there you can help to provide funding for policy, for um, political work. We um, actually will hold like a campaign, uh, I'm sorry, a candidate forum and talk to all these candidates and questions that are relevant to our community members. And then we make endorsements on who is, you know, um, responsive to our community and who mm -hmm. are um, in line with some of, the, some of the, the stuff that we have. So if you have the ability to give and want to, we would really appreciate it and encourage you to do so. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for this conversation. I certainly learned a lot from you in just this amount of time, and I'm sure uh, the uh, listeners did too. And I'm, I'm wishing you great success in the future with your community organizing. And, and for sure, the next time my travels bring me to New Mexico, I'm going to look up the work that you're doing and uh, just say, you know, till then, go well, stay well. Um, so thank you, Atta, and uh, just wishing you the best. Take care. Thank you. Hihat dawa'eh.